Step by step, row by row, there is a spirit in the seeds we sow. Hello, and welcome back to Jawadawa, part five, the real killer. Thursday afternoon, scene 20, firing the staff. Scene opens on Reynolds at his desk on the phone. We hear only his side of the conversation. While he is talking, he rolls up one sleeve and starts doodling on the underside of his forearm. Yeah, just just be quick. It's important. He hangs up with a sigh and groans. Fuck, this is gonna suck big balls. He opens his desk drawer and takes out his bottle of Thunderbird. And remembers it is empty. The panties are currently hung around the neck of the bottle. He stuffs them in his pocket awkwardly. They are clearly visible. Shit! He picks up the phone again and dials. Hoffman! I'm out of Thunderbird again. Next time you're out, go to Ralph's and... Ah, shit. I did fire you, didn't I? Well, since you've got some free time... Would you mind running down to Ralph's for some... He's interrupted by a knock at his door. Fuck balls. I gotta go. He hangs up. He presses a buzzer on his desk, but nothing happens. Whoever is at the door knocks again. Reynolds presses the buzzer again. Each time he presses the buzzer, we see the light go on and off in the bathroom, which he doesn't notice. The door rattles as the person on the other side tries to jimmy it. Jesus Christ! I'm coming! He gets up to answer the door. Just as he reaches it, his hand is on the knob. It flies open. We see Jenny in a karate pose, holding a soda can. The door whacks Reynolds in the face. Fucking... Uh, Damn it, Jenny, I said I was coming! Yeah, I always get nervous when a guy says that. Instinct kicked in. They enter the office. Reynolds moving behind his desk, massaging his nose, absently grabbing at the panties like a handkerchief to dab at his bruise. Jenny stands before the desk, slurping. She looks closely at the panties, then shakes her head. She holds out the can. LaCroix? It's Pamplemousse. Ew. No. Good, because it's actually Four Loco and Curvassier. She chugs. Jenny, you're drinking on the job? Jenny rolls her eyes and makes a duh face. And you're not? Reynolds quickly knocks the empty bottle of Thunderbird onto the floor where we hear it shatter. He winces. I know we're all under a lot of stress, but... Yeah, stress. Jenny chugs another chug. (laughs) Working in a haunted-ass airport will give you stress, all right. Reynolds sits up straight. Haunted? I I, I don't know what you... Oh, give me a break, Nick. This place is cosmically fucked. It's falling apart all around us. Things disappear, people are hearing things, and the fucking smell? You cannot tell me that's a naturally occurring phenomenon. The only way I can even do this job anymore is halfway up the ass of drunk. Reynolds blinks a couple times. Okay, Jenny. I think the booze is getting to you. Which... Incidentally, makes what I have to tell you much easier. 
First off, the airport is not haunted. If this a book falls from a shelf, they both look at it then at each other. It, it's an IKEA shelf. I, I lost a few brackets. Just tell me, what are we talking about? Jenny, listen. The situation, it's um, getting complicated. I have to give Fudgeson somebody. To, to buy us time to get this shit under control. Jenny just looks stupefied. Just then Reynolds' computer bleeps. A uh, notification pops up. Oh, poop. Hang on. He switches on the computer. On the screen we see a mugshot of a young, tattooed skinhead. At the top of the page we see Orange County Sex Offender Registry. Jenny peers over his shoulder. Ooh, damn yes. Swipe right. Sweet fucking Fitzpatrick, he's a sex offender, Jenny. <laughs> Jenny shrugs. Okay, Nick, I, I knew you were single again, but fuck. At least ask out Sharon Cox or something. I was doing a background check. He slams his computer shut. Something else falls off the shelf behind him, but they both ignore it. He sighs. <sighs> Jenny, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Jenny rolls her eyes. Blah, 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 I'm fired, right? I'm your sacrifice to the fudge packer. Is that it? Reynolds nods sadly. That's the long and short of it, Jenny. She snorts. <laughs> Jenny takes a deep breath and then shrugs. <sighs> she digs into her back pocket. Fuck it. Wanna do some lines? She produces a baggie of white powder and proceeds to chop up two lines on Reynolds' desk. Reynolds looks on, mortified and a bit eager. Jenny rolls up a chowder hose coupon and snorts her line. Then hands it to Reynolds. Why the fuck not, Nick? We're getting shut down. This place is cursed. Might as well enjoy some part of it while you can. Jesus, Jenny, how the fuck could you afford coke working in this dump? Are you kidding me? No way I could. This is a bag of powdered ranch I got from Greg's. Reynolds sighs. <sighs> Takes the rolled up coupon and does the line. <laughs> Jenny comes around the desk and starts kissing him. They make out. Camera pulls back to show two ghost Indians standing in front of his bookshelf. There's a bunch of shit knocked onto the floor. They start jerking off, watching Jenny and Reynolds get hot and heavy. Scene 21. Peyote. Scene opens on Reynolds, parking his brown Yugo at the edge of the airport middens. Next to Hoffman's El Camino, we see Hoffman sit up in the back holding a bow and arrow. Reynolds gets out of the car, twirling his keys like a six-shooter. He hasn't noticed Hoffman yet. Hoffman? Coming out! Now! Cut to a close-up shot of Hoffman watching Reynolds, aiming down the shaft of the arrow. Cut to his POV showing the arrow which is pointed at Reynolds' chest. My father married up your Cherokee. 
My mother's people is ashamed of me. He seems to forget the rest of the lyrics and just hums the tune. <laughs> Reynolds sees him in the back of the El Camino, aiming an arrow at him. He quickly puts his hands up and stammers. Hey! Hey now, come on, Hoffman! Firing you is nothing personal, just business. Hoffman puts the bow and arrow down. You think I'm twisted about that damn job, Reynolds? <laughs> you don't know shit. I know. That's the problem. I have no idea what the fuck is going on around here. He kicks at the dirt and looks up at Hoffman. But I'm starting to think that you do. Hoo-wee! Hear that, Starshine? Boss man coming back on his knees. Should I tell him to put his hair up? Say, what? Hoffman shakes his head to clear his thoughts. Why'd you come out here, huh? What'd you have to tell me? He reaches into the bed of the El Camino and tosses Reynolds a bottle of Thunderbird. Oh yeah, there wasn't any change. Reynolds fumbles the catch and the bottle shatters against the door of the Yugo. They both just stare at it like it called them bitches. With a sigh, Reynolds turns back to Hoffman. <sighs> All that shit you said about the airport, the burial ground, and so on, uh, is it true? Is it true, he asks. Well, Pilgrim, sometimes it takes a man a few shakes to get all the drops off. Hoffman pats the front of his cutoffs. Ain't that the truth? Let me guess, they're calling you out, getting ready to shut shit down, and you need answers and a way out. Well, Reynolds nods. Ain't that fine. What do you know about... He fishes in his pocket and pulls out a dry cleaning receipt from Madame Pooze. On it, it is written... Jawodoa? Airport chokes. <laughs> Hoffman rushes up to Reynolds, rips the paper from his hands, and stomps on it. He looks around quickly and nervously. The hell are you doing saying that name out loud? Reynolds appears shaken. So, so, you do know it? Hoff, I think it's time you leveled with the man. Hoffman nods. Reckon so. He points to the El Camino. Come on, get in. Uh, where are we going? Hoffman opens the door. To the spirit world, motherfucker. Cut to El Camino interior. Hoffman is at the wheel, Reynolds in the passenger seat. They just sit there. So, uh, do you know how to get there? Oh yeah, brother. I know. He reaches over and punches the glove compartment. You better buckle up, though. It's, it's quite a trip. Reynolds fastens his seatbelt while Hoffman leans over him, reaching into the glove compartment. He pulls out a small package wrapped in tinfoil. What's that? Hoffman peers at him, as though trying to gauge whether he's ready. Don't, don't pussyfoot around, Tiger. Bring him over. Hoffman nods. Okay, hombre. This is the real shit, my man. You better watch yourself with this stuff. It's gonna take you places you never imagined. Hoffman unwraps the packet. We see inside what looks like a brownie. 
He breaks it in half, hands one to Reynolds, and starts eating the other. He reaches under the seat and pulls out a bottle of Yoohoo to wash it down. Reynolds just sort of looks at his. Come on, eat it. It's organic. Reynolds eats the brownie. For a few seconds, they're just sitting there in the car, staring at the windshield. Is something supposed to... He's interrupted by a blinding light which fills the screen. When it clears, we see Hoffman and Reynolds standing in a Monument Valley-looking landscape. Although there are a bunch of dead animals laying around and some toppled teepees, lots of tree stumps. Both of them are dressed as movie stock characters. Reynolds is Roy Rogers style with a huge 15-gallon hat, tight jeans, checkered shirt, and a belt buckle the size of a dinner plate. Hoffman is wearing assless chaps with no pants underneath and a shag vest over his bare chest, a necklace made of buffalo teeth. He has a lasso slung over one shoulder. His eye patch is also shifted to the other eye. Happen? Whoa! Reynolds sniffs the air. God, Christ, it smells awful here. Hoffman starts walking. Yep. They walk for a bit into the shimmering desert. So, uh, this is the spirit world? No, it's Pacoima, dummy. Suddenly a figure emerges from the haze. It's our good friend Multiple Orcas Swim. He walks up to Hoffman. They bump fists and do some kind of secret handshake thing. Hoffman presents Reynolds. Brother, this white man is the chief of the land of the metal birds in their nest. We, uh, we've come to ask you for help. He elbows Reynolds. Reynolds flinches, then awkwardly bows. Uh, yeah, um... He puts his hand up, palm out. How? Hoffman punches his shoulder. Don't do that. Um, hello, brave warrior. My compadre here says that, uh, the land of, um, the metal birds was sacred to your people, and, um... My people suffer, Moonface. We cannot rest in the land of the long, shiny birds. Our spirits are caught short. Um, yeah. Why is that? He wrinkles his nose. There seems to be a considerable stink coming off Orcus. We can never find peace while the great muddy waters flow. In the distance, we hear something that sounds like a building collapsing. Kind of a low rumble and glass breaking. The ground shakes a little. Reynolds looks around. What was that? Things are heating up in the real world. My people wander and squat, Moonface. Nowhere can we bury our mess. We roil inside, and our buds bloom only fire. The land of the shiny birds is our final ditch in which to lay our mortal coils. It must be cleansed, wiped clean. As it is now, my people can do nothing but paint the land with their sickness and woe. Okay, that sounds bad. What do I do? A huge gust of wind blows over them. It 
carries a wave of trash and dead cats and raccoons and assorted woodland creatures. The smell knocks them back a few paces. God damn it! It's a taboon! Reynolds tries to shout over the wind. What do we do? H- how do I fix it? Orcus now appears to be crying brown tears. The wind is whipping his loincloth around. Destroy the one who did this to us. You must find the real killer. Orcus is interrupted when the carcass of a goat carried by the wind hits him in the back of his head, knocking him out. He is swept away into the swirling sands. Reynolds and Hoffman book it. All around them, big chunks of teepees and totem poles fly by. A herd of buffalo skeletons runs past. Cactus gets ripped up out of the ground. They are screaming as the foul wind turns around them. Cut to Reynolds and Hoffman screaming. Seated in the El Camino. Dressed normally. (laughs) They scream for a stupid amount of time, then stop to look at each other, then start screaming again. (laughs) Reynolds finally catches his breath. That was awful. You're telling me, partner. I gotta live with those guys. Hoffman seems shaken. He starts muttering to himself. The the real killer. Real killer. Oh, shit. Goddamn shit. He chugs some more yoo-hoo. What? What does that mean? I gotta go, Will. Hoffman scrambles out of the El Camino, undoing his pants. Through the windshield, we see him racing past the front of the car, stopping right in front of Reynolds' car and squatting down. (sighs) Through the open passenger window, we hear him grunting, along with some unpleasant squirts. (laughs) Reynolds puts his face in his hand and sighs. What the hell is the do? Scene 22. Airport Inspector. Scene starts out at the gate in front of the airport. The protesters are in full swing. Sharon Cox is holding a megaphone and whipping up the crowd. So a few racists are going to miss their plane. Do you know how many indigenous Americans can't even afford a plane flight? The crowd cheers and cars start honking, trying to get the protesters to move. Chrissy Himmelfart is bouncing around to the crowd, holding up a life-size sex doll, customized to look like John Wayne. Dressed in a western vest, hat, boots, and frilly panties, bra, stockings, feather boa, and garter belt. Nearby, someone carries a banner that says, Put John Wayne back in the closet of history. How many airports are named after women? LaGuardia! 
Transvestites don't count. The crowd emits a loud barrage of both boos and cheers. As the chaos continues, the camera zooms in on one scrawny little protester who has managed to circle about to the inside edge of the crowd. He is wearing a blood-soaked Cleveland Indians cap, sunglasses, jeans, and a light jacket, navy blue. He has a backpack and carries a homemade sign reading, I see red, but I won't see Red River. He is looking around suspiciously, as if he wants to make sure nobody is noticing him. Tell you what, keep the name. Keep this place named after John Wayne. The crowd boos and starts to throw their inflatable tomahawks. But turn this into a school. An anti-racism school. The John Wayne School for Combating Racism. This gets the crowd excited again, and the little man makes his move. He breaks away from the crowd and heads towards the airport main entrance. He tosses away his hat and stashes his sign behind a bush. We see now it is Peter Tucker, the professional airport inspector and master of disguise. He slips into the airport and makes his way into a bathroom stall. He takes off his backpack and zips it open. He pulls out a device that looks like a stack of dynamite with an alarm clock and a cell phone wired to it. From underneath it, he pulls out a toga. He stashes the bomb back in the bag. Then he removes his clothes and puts on the toga. Stashing the clothes into the bag to hide the bomb. Next, he remembers his phone and reaches into his bag, pulls out his pants, gets his phone, and then puts his pants back in the bag. He pops open the phone and sends a cryptic message to W. Fudgeson, reading, The pearl is at midstream. After a moment, a text comes back. I'm getting a facial now. From a nearby stall can be heard some loud moaning and slurping sounds. After another few seconds, another text comes. Fuck, now I'm hungry. Meet me at the chowder hose. Remember the plan. Cut to Tucker standing in the TSA line with his backpack. He's wearing the toga with some Roman sandals and a laurel wreath in his hair. As he is waiting in line, the agents start to notice him and give him some weird looks. The line is moving slowly as one of the agents has left her post. She comes back and whispers in the ears of the other ones. We see Tucker has some sort of special high-powered hearing aid that can zero in on their whispers. From his POV, we hear the TSA agent speak. Word from out front is that Bazarni and Van Ethel just checked in for a flight to Chippewa Falls. Let's show those ass clowns some special attention. The other agents nod and smile. When Tucker gets to the front of the line, he hands his bag to the agent who sets it on the belt. Are there any electronics in your bag, sir? Uh, oh, no, no. <laughs> I get that look all the time. It's the toga. Yeah, I figure at my age, why not just wear a toga everywhere? Then everywhere you go is basically a toga party. Plus, uh, no constriction. Watch this. Opa! He does a little kick and a stomp. All the agents are staring at him as his bag slides unnoticed through the scanner. Before he can step through the body scanner, though, two impeccably dressed Italian-looking guys in suits come running up and push in front of him. These are Bzornian Fnuffle. Sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry. We about to miss a flight. Coming through, don't worry. We're probably more important than you. Nuffle throws his leather to me on the belt and runs through the scanner. It beeps loudly. 
The agents pull them aside. Sorry, sirs. We're gonna need you to come with us. Get up against the wall. The TSA agent presses a button, and a please wait sign begins flashing on the scanner. Tucker is trapped on the other side. All the agents come over and start forcing Zorni and Fnuffle to strip in front of everyone. What is going on? This isn't outrage. You're going to hear from my lawyer, Fnuffle. As his lawyer, I demand an immediate cease to this deliberate violation of my client's constitutional rights. Okay, Nutbreath, bend over. As Fnuffle and Bizorni struggle with TSA, Jeff Bizorni and Greg Van Nuffle come walking back from the direction of the food court. Damn it, I, I must have left my bag on the belt. Sorry about that. I can't believe how powerful that hose was. Did you pay for the chowder? I thought you did. Oh shit, are we gonna have to clean out the hose? Don't worry, I'll email him a voucher for some free sandwiches. Oh, thank god, there it is. We see there are now two nearly identical black backpacks sitting on the belt. As Van Nuffle approaches to grab his, Fnuffle drops his passport, and one of the female TSA agents bends over to pick it up. She is not wearing underwear, and we can see her ass is very smooth and shiny. The glint hits Van Nuffle right in the eyes, and he squints and covers his face as he grabs for his bag. He, of course, grabs the bomb. As he does this, Pizzorni recognizes their old nemeses and waves with his middle finger, on which is perched a stuffed seagull. Hi guys, good to see you again. Greetings from Hawaii, you squonks. Van Nuffle puts on the backpack with a bomb in it, and the two turn and head back towards the food court. Liney Lodge, here we come. Oh man, I can't wait for that hoagie bar. Pizzorni sniffs the air for a minute. God damn it, did you eat clams and poutine again? That wasn't me. Shit, I don't know why you bother selling your sauces here. People can just dip their sandwiches in the airport. They walk off. Cut to the chowder hose. Peter Tucker is sitting alone. He's dressed in Greg Van Nuffel's clothes. Filthy black jeans, flannel shirt, and a worn out The Church t-shirt. He's looking very unsettled. He is nervously looking over the menu. Gluis approaches. Are you here to pay the piper? Um, what? Uh, uh no. I have, uh, I've never been here before. Um, what, what do you recommend? Gluis eyes him suspiciously. Well, I say, when you don't know what you want, it's time for a hit from the chowder hose. Uh, oh yeah? You want a drink from the chowder hose, pal? Lewis makes the chatter hose arm gesture. Hmm, well, the famous chatter hose. Uh, okay, what the hell? Let's do it. He smiles broadly. Lewis chuckles and walks off. <laughs> Tucker goes to grab his review tablet, forgetting he has the wrong bag. He ends up pulling out a plastic bag filled with a large amount of a suspicious white powder. He startles and stuffs it back in the bag. We see Gluis over by the chatter hose. He pops open a panel, and we see there is a switch there, currently set to paying customers. He switches it to non-paying customers. He reels up the hose and drags it over to Tucker's table. Open up, sucker! It's time to meet the man! Tucker looks up and sees the hose. He is a bit surprised, but figures this is all part of the act. 
He laughs nervously and tips his head back, <laughs> opening his mouth wide. Lewis puts the hose in front of Tucker's open mouth and pulls the handle. As if from a fire hydrant, a massive gout of steaming hot white chatter explodes from the hose. The recoil knocks Lewis back a bit as the chowder instantly fills Tucker's mouth and drowns his face. But the chowder does not stop. It keeps coming, and the force of it blasts Tucker backwards, tipping over his chair, sending him flying and slamming him to the floor. Lewis stands there with a hose for a moment, totally battering Tucker with chowder before the pressure starts to drop a bit, and he shuts it off. Unhouse! Scene 23, The Real John Wayne. Scene opens on Reynolds, standing outside a rather expensive-looking house in Newport Beach. Behind it, we can see masts rising up from a marina, and the sounds of gulls and waves fill the air. Reynolds double-checks his phone and then cranes his torso around to look for an address. Then he checks his phone again. Finally satisfied, he moves to knock on the door, then thinks better of it and walks back to his car. Then he thinks better of thinking better of it and walks back to the door again. He moves to knock on it and then freezes up just standing there. Finally the door opens and Sharon Cox is standing there. She is barefoot, holding a mojito and wearing a jogging skirt and an organic Inspired t-shirt. Can I help you? Look, I already belong to Calpert, but if you- I know you hate me, but don't hate me. What? I need your help. Sharon puts on her glasses, which are clipped to her shirt. Oh my god, what the fuck? She slams the door. Reynolds actually knocks this time. Sharon! Open the door! I'm serious! Cox opens the door again. She is holding a tennis racket, as if it is some kind of a weapon. What did you call me? Um... Sharon? I don't think I've ever heard that word pass your lips before. You must really be in trouble. She pokes her head outside and looks around as if to see if anyone is watching. Then she waves him inside. Reynolds nervously slips in and Cox quickly shuts the door behind him. Jesus, Nick, you look terrible. Here, have a mojito. She hands him her mojito and then saunters off to the kitchen to make herself another. Reynolds looks at the lipstick-stained mojito as if it is poison, then cautiously takes a sip. When it occurs to him it's probably the best thing he's had all week, he seems to relax a bit and start drinking it. He looks around the house. It is impeccably decorated and by someone with obvious taste in money. There is lots of Hollywood memorabilia and framed movie posters and museum glass. Lots of women directors and such. A League of Their Own, Boys Don't Cry, Thelma and Louise, The Babadook, etc. What stands out is an original 1947 framed poster for Angel and the Bad Man over the mantelpiece in the living room. Reynolds walks over to it and pokes at it as if he isn't quite sure it's real. Cox comes out from the kitchen with her new mojito and watches him. They're all real. She puts one leg up on an ottoman and stretches it out. Reynolds points to the picture of John Wayne. Th this guy again? Why, why is he here? That's what I've been asking you for the last five years. 
hey, why blame me? You do know the airport was already named before I got there. Who am I supposed to blame? Racism has been around for thousands of years, and I'm not sitting around waiting for my grandpa to fix it. Reynolds just stares at her blankly. Huh? See, this is exactly your problem. You deal with this mess every day, and you don't even know who he is. Who? Your grandpa? No, John Wayne. Who the fuck is John Wayne? Why ask me? I thought you knew. Maybe. Humor me, Nick. Who do you think he is? He's some kind of old-timey actor. He did a lot of those cowboy movies back in the day. I think he used to live around here. So, you don't know. Did I get it wrong? John Wayne, my friend. She claps him on the shoulder. Is the spirit of America. Or at least, the spirit of the old America. Where men were men, and women helpless, and people with skin tones were slaves or savages. The America that never was. The America the patriarchy wants it to be again. The America that needs to die. Think of John Wayne as like the Superman of old balding dudes with beer bellies and Viagra addictions. The patriarchy, eh? Isn't that one of those conspiracy theories we aren't supposed to believe in? You are not supposed to believe in it if it's true. But think of it less as a conspiracy and more as shorthand for the small minority of people who hold the majority of the money and power in this world. Money and power, eh? You know, I think I did see one of those old John Wayne movies back when I was a kid. He didn't have any money or power, he was just an old drunk with a shitty cabin. And I really only remember him shooting white people. Ah yeah, well, that's the brilliance of it. Our man J.W. is not a symbol of the patriarchy. He's their myth. The myth that the average fat guy with a comb over can be a hero if he just takes charge of his life and takes action. And that action usually involves shooting somebody. Like, you know, prevent that wetback from crossing the border and taking your job. Prevent that black kid in the hoodie from getting his Skittles home. Protect your local polling center from commies. That's the thing about a minority rule. They can't do the work themselves, so they need some way to get others to do it for them. People like you. Huh. Well, I'm not so sure they can count on me anymore. Really? She takes his empty glass and hands him a fresh mojito. Tell me more. Well, I I don't know where to start. I think the airport is haunted. Haunted? Has anyone ever died there? For all your faults, you guys have one of the best safety records in the lower 48. No, no, not the usual vanilla kind of dead people haunting. This is something far weirder. I can't explain it. Well, you must have noticed the smell. The JWA stank? I heard it was tar pits. Do you have giant saber-toothed tiger ghosts? Fuck, is it like night at the museum there at night? I actually managed the gaffing for that, you know. Um, no. Or, yes, uh, there's no tar pits. It's a mystic stank. Is it? She turns on the couch and puts one of her legs over his lap. Her skirt hikes up a bit, 
The look in his face shows he smells something. Yeah. He loosens his color. It's coming from some kind of spirit world place, and there's lots of dead buffalo there, and crazy fake Indians with intestinal problems, and some kind of ancient demon god who calls himself Jawadawa. As he says the name, the entire house shakes and groans. <laughs> Reynolds shrieks and looks as if he is about to shit his pants. Oh, don't mind that. It's just the wake hitting us from one of those goddamn cruise ships. Your capitalist master's hard at work. Reynolds collects himself. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just going crazy. It it's just the stress, you know, with the divorce and all, and Fudgeson and all these crazy problems and the protest and uh and and maybe I shouldn't be drinking this. He puts his drink down. I snorted ranch powder this morning. Sharon shrugs. Hey, it's legal. Well, so is capitalism, right? Cox puts her hand on Nick's leg. God damn it, Nick. I think you just gave me a boner. What? He panics and gets up and pushes her away. No, this is wrong. Is it? Wrong is two plus two equals five, or white pants after Labor Day. No, most things in life aren't right or wrong. They just are. Reynolds seems torn. He looks at the door, then the mojito, then the couch. I have an idea, Nick. I think you need to wind down a bit. How about we kick back, relax, watch an old movie? I got a stack of old John Wayne DVDs back there in the den. She gestures. Call and research. You want to solve your problem? Maybe you need a little perspective on your problem. Well, uh, okay. Sure. What the heck? Oh, but no way are you wearing those JWA stanky clothes in my love seat. Cut to the den. There is an ocean view looking out to the back of the house, where a large sailboat is moored. Cox is putting in a DVD. Reynolds is sitting on a very stylish and comfy-looking couch in a pair of boxer shorts and a tank top. He now holds a large glass of red wine. He's got his feet resting on some kind of sharper image foot massager bath device or something. He seems to be loosening up a bit. The movie starts and Cox slips back onto the couch. They snuggle awkwardly a bit under an alpaca blanket. We watch Reynolds' face as he watches the movie. Good evening, Ethan. This is Major Dixon. How do you do, Major? Well, I just marched up from Mud Gulch, and it's mighty dry down there. <laughs> now, Ethan, you wouldn't know anything about a stagecoach being robbed now, would you? Ah, uh, damn it, Major. You know that wasn't me. We hear a sound of a man flipping a coin habitually. Well, they say a man made off with a shiny gold dollar coin. We hear the sound of a man stuffing a coin in his pocket. Well, Major, a man's gotta make a wage somehow out here. We hear the sound of a boy rushing in. Major, sir, urgent news from Colonel Suckling, sir. Damn it, boy, haven't you forgotten to take off your hat? Is this a movie? Where, where are all the special effects? It's all just a bunch of grimy old white dudes talking. Are you not entertained? She slides her hand down under the blanket. 
Reynolds moans. No, there are some special effects. He puts down the wine and kisses her neck. As the movie drones on in the background, the two of them start getting hot and heavy. The film is soon ignored. Cut to the bedroom doorway. We see Reynolds stumbling out, wearing a silk kimono a few sizes too small. He is covered in lipstick kisses. He heads to the bathroom, where he proceeds to drain the lizard. As he pees, he hears the movie still going. He realizes they must have left the DVD on. Ethan, take cover! The Comanches are coming! I ain't afraid of no engines, old man. He stumbles into the den to shut off the movie. As he reaches for the remote, his hand holds up a bit as it appears there is finally an action scene about to take place. Camera cuts to the TV screen where we see the movie now. We see John Wayne at the bank of a river with about four other old white dudes. They're all holding rifles and pistols and shotguns and stuff. They're crouched behind a flimsy dry log, all except for John Wayne who stands proudly behind the log. The movie pans to the other side of the river where we can see about a hundred well-armed mounted Indian braves in full battle regaling on horseback. They're charging across the river. More whoops and battle cries are raised. The Indians have rifles and start shooting at John Wayne and his buddies as they charge them. Switch back to the white guys who seem to be completely protected from bullets and arrows by the flimsy log. One guy's hat flies off. Then the white dudes all raise their guns and start shooting. scene of them all just standing there and shooting. Then another long scene of all the Indian warriors dying and falling off their horses and landing in the river and just turning red with blood. In the end, only about 20 warriors end up turning around and fleeing back across the river. John Wayne shoots about three of them in the back before one of his friends stops him, bemoaning, Give him a chance to bury their dead. Holy shit! Reynolds picks up the remote and rewinds the DVD a bit. He plays the scene of the Indians dying again, but pauses here and there. In the first frame, we see a brave with a large eagle painted on his face, wings spread wide. Next, we see a brave with a large black hawk painted on. Then we see one with battle paint that looks like a squatting dog. And then finally... Got you! The movie is frozen on a frame, showing an Indian with three orcas painted on his skin, one on his face, and two on his body. Holy shit! Reynolds runs out to the living room and starts gathering up his clothes. Cox stumbles in, looking pretty torn up. What are you doing? Are you leaving? I was just going to try this trick I read about in Cosmo. I'd, I'd love to, but I can't. I gotta go. The, the spirit world told me what I needed to do, and I did it. And now I gotta... Actually, I don't have a fuck what I gotta do, but I gotta do something. I gotta step up and take action. Take charge of my life and my fate. This airport needs a hero. But I need to think first. Y you want to drive the Big Bear with me? At this hour? Are you fucking kidding? I didn't think so. He kisses her. Gotta go. Call me. He runs out and slams the door. 
Sharon holds up a little baggie of white powder. Hey, you left your salad dressing. 